0: Hi, this is Nate Radley, and welcome to Coffee Talk.
1: Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we're joined by Professor Nate Radley. An acclaimed guitarist, Nate has been described by the New York City Jazz Record as one of the tastiest and most consistent players on the scene. Having performed all over the world, he's done five records as a solo artist, has over 40 record credits as a side person, and has had his music heard on HBO. Professor Radley got his Masters from New England Conservatory, where he studied with John Abercrombie, Bob Brookmeyer, Jerry Bergonzi, and George Russell. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Nate Bradley.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berkeley College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. As usual, we are joined by Cheryl Bailey, our assistant chair. Hey, good morning, Cheryl. Morning. Sorry, matching, Berkeley Guitar Department mug. Sorry. (gasps) Oh. Cheryl, does that mean you drained it?
3: No, I, yeah, I drank it all, but now I have my water going, so. Okay,
2: I think it's good. Cheryl Bailey is a master of balance, and I think it's good balance hydration with caffeination. Here, Cheryl. Absolutely. Um, we're joined by Ian Steed, as usual, our senior coordinator. Hey, good morning, Ian. Hey, all. How's it going? Yeah, right from the office. Hey, from the guitar office. hey Ian, is that an old Berkeley mug?
4: It is. It's an old Berkeley mug and it's broken.
2: Have you played it? And it's got
4: it? a completely nonsensical passage of music on it.
2: I bet you that our guest today. Nate Radley, professor in the guitar department, could make a beautiful piece out of that motive. A composer that he is, welcome, Nate Radley.
0: Oh, that's a kind way of introducing me. Thank you so much. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I know think you it.
2: probably could. I've seen evidence. I've seen uh, evidence. Uh,
0: well, you are very kind. Um,
2: so, um, Nate, this is your first um, your first year with us on the faculty.
0: It is. It's been a very exciting year for me. Thank you.
2: Cool. Um, So most importantly, um, to start us off, are you a coffee drinker?
0: uh, I am a a coffee drinker, yes. And um, I am uh, I'm staying with I'm outside of New York right now, staying with some friends, one of whom is a big coffee person. And so we had to like do like four espressos before we got one that was up to his standard of espresso. Mm -hmm. But now we're out of coffee. (laughs) so so i'm sitting here drinking water i had my coffee earlier i was like let's get the coffee going for the coffee talk and and so but he's got a roast now so he's he's completely out and he roasts and um this is my friend john Weecon. i should give him credit for his expertise this is a drummer that's
3: a roaster of course john Weecon's a roaster i gotta um, catch up with
0: him he's a machine
3: or does he do it old school
0: he's got a machine and he just put a new thermostat He's spent like two and a half hours connecting wires—the red wire to the yellow wire—and now he's got the thermostat, which apparently is a big part of the 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 machine. I'm learning. Yes.
2: So Cheryl's a roaster.
0: Oh, Cheryl's a roaster! Wow. Yeah,
3: but I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I'm low tech. I'm old school with the skillet. But now I got to that. I got to talk to John. I haven't talked to John in a while, so this is a great reintroduction conversation
0: absolutely no i'm not sure actually he's got the the espresso machine i don't know if he's got the like uh i don't know how he does the roasting but maybe i'll find out later today you know john is from seattle and um was telling me how when he first moved out to new york he brought an espresso machine and you know it's been doing it for a while i guess so
2: um. great now what's your common method though when you're home by yourself or when you're out on the road like what do you look well
0: for at from? home we have like this like plunger press thing
2: mm-hmm.
0: which uh is that like a known thing it was new to me my, I've my got that.
2: you've
0: the got Rio the plunger press, press?
2: oh yeah the yeah, so aero
0: press i guess it's the euro press it's like a thin for little aero press little, little yes it's not those like a excellent press. those yeah. make a really good cup they make a good cup, and then the cleanup is very concise and easy. And um, yeah, so that's that's the that's my jam at home. You know, I
2: like that. That's really great. Um, that's good. I like that you emphasize the cleanup.
0: Well, you know, I'm growing up, and as I grow up, I realize that my actions have consequences, and that if I make a mess, I also am responsible for the cleanup. It's taken me a long time to come to this realization, but um,
2: well, yeah. it, it maybe isn't a coincidence that um, you've increased your teaching responsibilities in your life, and you're coming. To, <laughs> your <laughs> <responsibility>. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cycle of life, you increase your teaching, and you learn about picking up after yourself. Wow! It's, I told you it's been a big year for me. So that's
2: right. That's right. So, so uh, we're going to talk a lot about your um, all the different music that you play and your approach as a composer and improviser and Thank you. and a writer and arranger and in many different styles and um, and we were lucky enough to be able to have you join us at Berkeley on the faculty this year and um, one thing that really helps people who are listening to this a lot of people are listening as they come to Berkeley as, as students mm-hmm. or in different capacities and. Um, it really helps people to hear about um, first days, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't have to be your absolute first day that you were came with with us on the faculty. But, but what was your impression in your first days? Like, what were some things that stood out to you about being at Berkeley?
0: Um, well, I I don't want to like. Uh be too flattering here or anything, but the first thing I noticed was like, wow, things are pretty organized. You know, like I was like, you know, I had a very nice studio to go teach in and my schedule was all set and well organized. And um, this this may seem like a trivial thing to some listeners, but um, this is no trivial thing. <laughs> it's great when you, when you show up and everything's kind of dialed in. <laughs> so you can focus on your 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 job teaching and so um you know right away i was like wow this is you know really cool i've got you know some good amps and there's the pa i can plug in my devices to that and we can do some listening and and so i could focus on you know meeting the the new personalities that were going to be you know part of my studio at the time it's a really exciting to meet um you know, I'm not. I don't exactly remember ex- how many new students I had at the time, but it's a you know right right away. It's a lot of new people to to kind of get to know and bring into your into your orbit. Um, and so um, a lot of my new students were freshmen just coming to to Berkeley, and um, it was an exciting time. Just kind of both you know we're we're all getting situated together, and um, we're all very excited to be at Berkeley, and um. So it, it was a, it was a really great couple of days for me.
2: You know, you brought up a really good point when you're saying these things that some people would think are trivial. You've taught at a lot of different places and some really mm-hmm. prestigious schools and mm-hmm. you've played a ton of gigs and been on the road. And one thing that we talk about a lot is like, people are like, well, what are important things in terms of like professionalism? And mm-hmm. I think, one of the things that we've learned over the years in the guitar department is like from being in chaotic situations that weren't organized. Like, yes. honestly, if you're talking to people who have this aspiration of being a band leader or, um, you know, running sessions or running a school in any way, the more you can get in place
3: mm-hmm.
2: for the artists, for the musicians, for the faculty to come in and just focus on the task at hand and the music at hand, and spend that energy that way that's
0: really important absolutely there's you know there's like a saying that i'm sure we're all familiar with that you know getting to the gig is the gig you know (laughs) like it's harder than the actual gig you just got to get get your stuff to the gig and um that's often true in some situations but starting off at berkeley getting situated was not the gig that was someone else's gig fortunately <laughs> and so i could um you know focus on the on the teaching side and um you know being in situations where people are aware of the work experience that obviously goes for performance situations and we, we've all worked as side people accompanying others and and when band leaders are thinking about what the experience of their band is going to be like it it creates such a better musical experience and a, and a sense of right away, you feel like a, a feeling of empathy or a feeling of, you know, concern for the for the community, um, which is really, really important. Um, a band is a little community. A school is a community with lots of little communities within it. And, um, you know, when you see that people are really trying to, to, to take care to establish um, a community with certain types of norms of professionalism or caring or so on and so forth. It's, it, it means a ton. It really does.
2: Yeah. I, we're getting ready to have people come in this week for some things. And, and one of the things we're thinking about is like, you know, what wasn't always present when we were traveling, like right. food. Yes. How do I get from the hotel to the, to the school? Do I have to carry everything? Is Absolutely. it clothes? Am I going to eat? Do I have, is there, are there beverages available? Do I have a place to rest? Yes. I mean, there are so many Mm -hmm. times when you travel and then they're like, oh yeah, just hang out. Well, where like in the hallway, you know what I mean? Is there like a place to sit? Where am I going to be? And you can feel the energy of the whole thing. When you send out an itinerary that has food on it, right? rest periods and, and things like, do you need to make photocopies? Do you need cables? Um, yes. do you need any kind of electronics like do you need people to carry stuff for you um it, it makes a huge difference and and i think like if people are making lists of what to think about these are things that sometimes we only think about because they weren't there
0: Yep. yeah
2: somewhere and they're like oh my gosh there's no food you
4: know?
0: yeah well it's exhausting when you know you have to you have to devote so much energy to just taking care of yourself in that situation when what you really want to be doing is sending your energy outwards towards the, the community of people you're working with and so um you know when people take care of that so you don't have to you know be so concerned with where my calories coming from you know am i hydrated am i caffeinated did i uh you know all everything you know do i have a guitar cable did i remember a guitar cable
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know all these things you
3: know yeah, yeah.
0: It helps, so um, you know. But beyond uh, beyond the logistics of starting off my first year at Berkeley, it was really exciting to get to you know meet the community, to understand where my students were coming from, and experience really that diversity of musical experiences that they were coming to Berkeley with already, which was really remarkable to me. Um, you know, some of my students, um, you know, when you when you start off, sometimes you the first thing that hits you was like, wow, there are a variety of different levels. Right. But as I dug a little deeper, I realized that people were specialists in ways that I couldn't quite see right off the bat. Like maybe someone would come in and would be like a little bit less experienced on the guitar, but then I would realize then I, they would play me a song of theirs. and I'd be like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like great songwriting, less, less guitar focus, more songwriting focus. Great. Loved it. Um, some of my other students were more into, you know, kind of production, logic, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, again, extremely good at that. And so it was really cool, um, to get to know people and start to identify what their strengths were. Um, and I was just really impressed, you know, um, and it's been really fun to see, you know, some people, maybe we'll talk about this more in, in the course of this talk, but, you know, some of my teaching is jazz focused. And so some of my students are, you know, kind of really going for playing jazz. And some students come to me with much different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was just really cool. Like one of my students is a really great hip hop producer. And it took me a second to well, it actually didn't take me a second. I listened to his tracks in the first <laughs> in the first lesson. <laughs> And was just like, wow, this is uh, incredible. And you know, a resource that we can bring in into the lessons too. Um, mm. So um, that's been really cool.
2: So I was thinking about your playing. And I think one of the things that makes you such a great teacher for the Berkeley students, as you described, is you have a stylistic diversity in your playing, but it Thank seems you. to come from like a core of your musicianship. So I was listening to some of your recordings this, this morning and there are some that are so like obviously roots music and country influenced and really groovy. And then there are some that are jazz and then you have new music and you're, I was looking at your duos. Yeah, they're great. And, um, you have a new music component to what you do. You have like a, a traditional, like contemporary jazz part of what you do. You have a, a country influenced thing that you do and you're you're a great solo guitar player. And so I'm wondering like if you could talk about what you see for yourself as do you see a common thread in all those things or do you feel like they're separate to you? How do you think about that? I mean
0: I I I think of, you know, actually um all music kind of being the same. <laughs> So you know, I think of I think of music as being a, a way of you know, basically exchanging energy through sound. This might be a little philosophical for, but uh, but you know, it's like when you when you when you do performance, like you are presenting, uh, you're you're putting sound forward into the into a space, and in doing so, you are trying to change the energy of that space and trying to change the energy within the people within that space. And that that can that of course occurs um whether you're listening to a live performance or whether you're listening to a recording and i think in terms of how that energy is being transmitted you know all music uses the the process of tension and release you know building up tension and releasing tension and um i'm really just interested in in how that uh, those kinds of narratives can be um, presented in a lot of different styles I think probably the, the one thread that kind of runs through things is, I mean, some of my things might be kind of new music oriented, but I still, I think of them as songs for some reason. You know, I think of everything as, um, when I think of, I don't really think of myself as a composer per se, as a as more as a songwriter. Um, I, you know, I really like just how a song can accomplish something in a very concise amount of time I really think songs are a cool vehicle for what we do as improvisers I don't when I say song I guess it's it could be kind of abstract what I'm talking about because it doesn't have to be like literally like a Paul Simon song it could be you know just a very simple monophonic theme or something but it's it's a it's a short or it doesn't have to be that short but it's a it's a it's a fairly concise statement of what the what the subject of the of the of the performance is going to be um whereas i think sometimes compositions can have such wide scopes to them and and people that i think of as you know quote unquote real composers this is just my own little world of language so please ignore me um you know i think have have like a real control over um, and mastery of a wide variety of forms and um that's, um, I guess, you know, form is something that kind of interests me, um, but but, but maybe like on a micro level, not grand, you know, large 40-minute forms, but like, you know, I'm, I'm more like five minutes, you know, that's my yeah. world.
2: Well, I feel like, you know, when I said that thing about the the little notes that were on the mug that Ian right. held, I right. feel Like, I feel like if you had that mug, Right. You could come up with songs that reflected, like instrumental songs that reflected new music. You could right. take that same motive and you could put it into like more of a country context. You could put it more into a pop context if you wanted to. Because yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm hoping that you'll talk a little bit about your process in doing those kinds of Hopefully. things. Sure. Sure. I feel like one thing that is really interesting to me as a classical guitarist who mm. like, is now learning about improvisation more is that when you when you see that, you mm-hmm. don't just see this melody, you see like how it's built and they're like, oh look at the intervals in there and like absolutely. what that might imply harmonically and absolutely what that might mean phrasing wise. And that might mean you're seeing a world in there that yeah. I would normally do in the reverse way. I would see the entire piece and then I would be like, oh you know what? It comes right. back to that little line.
0: Right. Right,
2: And and so can you talk about that? Like, say you had a melody like that in your task as a writer.
0: Well, you know, just to just to like um, backtrack just for a second, because I really think of writing music as right, like writing words. And I really am inspired by like uh, fiction writers or even nonfiction writers. And just that, like, I really like writers that can that have like a lot of uh, what I'm talking about writing right now, I'm talking about, you know, fiction or nonfiction. I really like writers that can like are incredibly concise and have like a way of um you know there's like you know thematic construction the way people write paragraphs and write stories and so you know when I when I look at the music on Ian's mug you know um Ian mug demonstrate mug oh my god that changes everything no no, I'm just kidding forget it forget what I just said no I mean it's um I look at that as like a, a, a you know, potential theme of, var- you know, with, with variations that can be explored. And so, um, you know, in terms of how that like fits into like the matrix of style or something like that, I guess that that really comes from like an emotional emotional place for me. Um, and um, when, I, when I do write, um, I really try to f- figure out a way to develop an emotional connection to the material that I'm working with. And then, um, and then you know, it it might kind of find its way into one style or another. But you know, I, I also try to like blur them a little bit. You know, I, I always I always like uh, you know intervals. I love the sound of intervals. And basically, like ear training class was like a symphony to me. I loved it. I just you know, um, I just love the sound of intervals. And so, if I can expose the intervallic content of that line in some way i really what's consonant and what's dissonant about that and that can be explored again it comes back to tension and resolution and that can be explored in kind of like a new musicy way or in a very rootsy way or in a jazz way it can be explored you know i'm starting to learn a little bit more about electronic music right now and um you know there are a lot of different so, and so in some ways, uh, you know, I guess sometimes I could just kind of sit down and I'm like, all right, today, let's write this kind of piece. What's what's the subject? You know, and then um, and then, you know, it could be it could be a melody like like Ian's. Um, but I, it just takes like a short little kernel of an idea and I try to stay true to that for as long as I can.
2: Do you find yourself thinking as a soloist or... You know, because you play solo guitar and you play in groups. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, do you find yourself going back and forth, or is there a specific way that you approach something when you know you're going to play it on the solo guitar? That's a little bit different.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, actually, I think I have a weakness with this: <laughs> is that I I, I I write everything pretty much as a solo guitar piece, you know, and. Um, That was actually one of the reasons that I got into the, the, you mentioned this duet project that I've I've done, um, which um, is a series of, I don't know, it was like eight duets or something. And I actually started writing them just as counterpoint studies for myself. Some of, half of these duets are just monophonic counterpoint between two guitars. And I was just, I'd reached a point where, you know, my kind of solo guitar, sort of chord melody way of writing, I was just thinking like, wow, this has got to stop this can't continue for the rest of my life you know um and so i tried to you know so i explored linear counterpoint um as a way to kind of get outside of that recognizing my own inexperience really with it um and then half the duets in that project are kind of like i kind of tried to make like a sort of weird 12 string guitar or something with two people playing really dense chords at the same time and trying to create different kinds of density um with that texture in mind so they're really like i'm kind of in those duets i'm going between two different textures and um you know trying to get away from being like a solo guitar writer you know because a lot of my kind of more jazzy pieces are like orchestrations of solo guitar pieces in some ways and that tends to lead me towards a certain type of melody certain type of harmonic motion and a certain kind of harmonic clarity which i don't always think is good <laughs> you know uh, two lines can be so ambiguous right. and so evocative yes um and so for some reason if you're kind of writing in a chord melody way like you're you can be in such like guitar harmony brain um which right. is my comfort zone to be honest you know
2: yeah and that's I mean, really, because when you have two notes, it could be a whole lot of implications, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I really love that kind of ambiguity, that that kind of sound. Um, but I don't think that's actually my... Getting to that place is something I have to kind of like be like, come on, don't play a full <laughs> chord. Stop. So I you like
2: know. that. Yeah. I like that you're pushing yourself because that's another thing I think that comes up a lot is this idea that like, how do you push yourself to do the things that scare you especially after you hit different levels of expertise
0: right yeah it is it it is very hard and um you know i i guess sometimes you have to listen to your boredom a little bit you know and just um like uh guitar for me is like a daily thing that i it's like a you know that i have to get in touch with on a daily basis really to feel like myself and it's been this way for for all my life or since i started playing guitar um i was 12 i think at the time and i just um but you know for something that you you know you have to like evolve and change and bring new things into the into the fold for me i had to do that i should i should i should you know say that um just in order to kind of keep that relationship with music and with guitar evolving over time Some, some sometimes i'm making it sound like it's like my choice all the time like i'm just sitting back and going like Today I'm going to, but you know, a lot of the time it's, you know, it's necessity can be the, can be the, you know, the, the motor too you know, like, uh, um, there was a time in my life where I was very fortunate to play a lot of jam sessions with friends Mm -hmm. and you know, everyone, we all, we would always like write music for, for those jam sessions that we were playing. And I just wanted to participate in the community in that way. And uh, that was really like one of the main engines for me to even start writing in the first place. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'll I'll think about the kinds of, you know, just who are the life changes, different people come into your musical orbit over time. And so I, I try to incorporate those, those, you know, influences into my music too, because, uh, that's my life. You know, I'm trying to work with what's going on.
2: (laughs) You know, the last question I have about your process that I jotted down is, I wonder if you could talk about the relationship between written music and improvised music for you and the stuff that you write? Because you have these duos and and they're really written out. And then hmm. I'm guessing you must also write with charts and you must also write things where maybe you envision it one way. I mean, do you, but maybe you'd come back to it after going through yeah. changes and then play it totally differently. Like, do you feel like for yourself, you need to capture it? Like if someone else plays your stuff do you have an expectation of what they might bring to it? Like, how do you think about that relationship? Yeah, that's
0: a that's another huge issue and great question. And um, I, I try to be really open. Uh, I think over as I've gotten older, I've tried to get less and less um, specific with the people that I'm working with. I think when I was younger, I would I would write songs and I would have a lot of ideas about how things are supposed to, to go down and i've uh that was really to my detriment uh you know in the in the the jazz world and really actually in every world i've operated in the the best results come from letting people be free to formulate their own um relationship to my music to the stuff that i'm writing and so um i trying to get better and better at writing things that allow people more freedom in the way they interpret my music. And I'm trying to write music that is more suggestive of how to interpret it, too. It's not it's not a one-way street. You know, so um I want them to be able to I want the music to be evocative of a certain type of interpretation, but I also want the interpretation to be free and spontaneous, if that makes any sense. It's kind of like almost like a contradiction well no that's not a contradiction in terms that seems like that should work together
2: yeah it, um, well it's really interesting because how do you prepare if, especially if you're looking at something written how, how do you convey it is it words is it like gestures I, is it like yeah. kind of a, almost like a drawing like how yeah. do you that's fascinating to me like how do you convey what you want
0: well it's um a lot of a lot of my pieces start off with like a guitar figure so a lot of times when I'm rehearsing, you know, I'm talking about the music here that's more band oriented, you know, I will, I'll just, you know, it's, I just do this all the time. And again, everything I do all the time is something I should really think about. Is this something I should be doing all the time? (laughs) But um, you know, I just start off with some kind of figure that I feel like sets the vibe and the tone for the piece, and then the conversation can evolve, and then as the piece evolves, you know if if the writing is good i feel like the the tension and resolution can be fairly clear to the band members and and you know i do a lot of editing of the stuff that i've written so it's i definitely after those early encounters and performance it's very rare that i do a you know write something and bring it to some musicians and i'm like great another one done you know it's like i'm always just like uh you know um okay i've got to you know tweak this solo forms you know in the jazz world solo forms are really that's a really tricky thing because um in in the course of my time writing i think i've overwritten most of my solo forms um and um uh, made them like more complex than they need to be. And so again, I'm just trying to, I'm I'm trying to distill and simplify and and make, make clear. Um, but to get back to your question, <laughs> I, and, and this is something actually I was talking about in a lesson this week. One of my students has been doing a lot of writing and bringing in some of his compositions. They, they're very strong, but he, he sort of plays me the theme and then he says, well, then I'm going to tell them to do this. And I'm always just like, Oh no! Don't tell them to do anything, please. Let them, you know, like you know, you, uh, uh, you know, you're you're playing with your colleagues and friends, and probably the best place to start is where what they think of, you know, where they're coming from, you know, words, words and music. I have a really hard relationship with, like, if if I have to like read someone's liner notes in order to appreciate the piece of music. I kind of find that a little repellent, or something. You know, if things are like too conceptual in that way. Ah, Donnie's coming in here. This is our friend's dog. Come here, Donnie. There you are. Hi,
2: buddy. Yeah, there he is. Oh, this is great.
0: I used to dog sit Donnie, and so we have we have a little vibe. So.
2: Oh, see. Here
0: he is. Yeah.
2: He's very yeah. encouraged by your by your welcoming way that you describe he, your
0: music. He's, he's like my my therapy animal, yes. Oh, so maybe Donnie yeah.
2: wants to come live in the guitar department.
0: I Donnie would be a great <laughs> asset to the guitar department. Um. So Donnie, what I was talking about was you know telling people you know uh, you know just trying to um. Yeah, I don't I don't like music that has needs a lot of explanation i i really like things to be immediate and emotional and direct and and it could be incredibly abstract but i still want it to like really hit people in a in a strong strong way good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so um though i like to sit around and talk about music with people a lot when it comes time to make music i don't like to talk as much yeah me personally,
2: Cheryl, um, you're sitting there, I think, off and on with Joni the Cat. And I know that you have a lot to relate to with everything Nate is saying as a composer and an improviser and a player. So, um, what's on your mind?
3: One thing about Joni the Cat is during this whole time, she's been doing her Zoomies around the couch. And so, if I was Nate, if I was looking away and laughing right? (laughs) because she there was was like this maniac orange cat just all around now she's sleeping
0: now she's chilling she's chilling but um (laughs) uh,
3: there were a couple things um i like what you said about uh i don't know if if i got it right but well mainly because i do with my in a lot of my classes we do a lot of writing we have to write lines and stuff like that and uh, i always tell them Write so many lines that you get bored with them because that's when it's going to get exciting. You know, when you you hit that place and you keep realizing, oh, I always start here and I go in that direction or I start there or I always use this rhythmic phrase. You know, you have to write a lot till you start to see that repetition of that. And, And then that's when it's going to get exciting because then you're going to start to go, oh, Right. I start here and go there and go there and and you keep doing that process till after a while, then you've explored.
0: Absolutely, it, you know, absolutely.
3: Permutations yes. of things. So yes. that was one thing. We we I'd love you could talk about that. And the other thing that struck me was, I mean, I I feel very similar to you about music. So you know, people will say, "Oh, what kind of music do you play?" And my answer, and I know they think I'm being a smart ass is good music, right? Because I don't see the genres and I know we here are always about, we represent all these genres, you know, but the thing is, you know, once you start studying music deeply, that those genres are, you know, often I compare them to, well, you know, people in South Africa speak English and people in England speak English and people in America, but you know, they're, Different, but they're the same, you know. they're
0: different different, dialects. Different different dialects,
3: dialects, right? Mm -hmm. And that's and that and so I had a student the other day who came in and was playing some of his compositions, and he was really just you know upset, like, "Well, I don't know if this is jazz." And I was like, "What? What are you? Why are you boxing this in?" And, you know, I was like, well, you love this music that we, whatever this umbrella of music we call jazz, but we know that it is all these other things. So why you're building so much anxiety and pressure on yourself about what is this music? Well, it's not this, but it's improvised music and it's composed music. And so I guess talking about those two things about writing and finding your tendencies and how you grow, and then maybe just about this thing, like, helping directing students in this way to just say, you know what, there's a bigger picture behind this. Like I'm a funk player. I'm a rock player. You're a music player. Right.
0: Totally. Totally. And I, you know, I find that, that students, um, you know, when you ask them about what they listen to just in the, in the internet age now, it's generally quite diverse. You know, there's a lot of music that people are exposed to. And so, know i just have to ask a little bit or just say have you heard this and i'm like oh you you know like people's listening is usually they've they've got a lot of different things going on and um which i think is 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 really really exciting so I, i just you know kind of Along the lines of what you were just talking about, Cheryl, with people that are trying to put their stuff in a certain kind of category and make it maybe safe in that way, you know, I I think a lot of times it comes, you know, the most interesting stuff to me comes from people being like really honest with themselves about what they really like to listen to, where they're coming from musically, and um, if you know, if if I really feel pretty strongly and i could be totally wrong but if you're really honest with yourself there's a lot going on in everybody and in fact non-musicians too (laughs) you know everybody listens to a lot of different kind of stuff um and you know they might be dipping into certain kind of categories and so on and so forth but like you know um you know just for example, like over the summer, like I watched this movie about like Colombian Cumbia music. I know nothing about that. Okay. But then I just went into this like phase, you know, and it's like, so, you know, I don't know what that's going to do to my listening, my experience, but you know, like everybody has these experiences where they, where they get exposed to something that's outside their normal realm, but it becomes like a little, you know, part of their musical universe. Um, the, the other thing I was going to say, Justin, and I'm sure, Cheryl, you were probably thinking of this Duke Ellington quote when you said, like, I play, I like good music, you know, the Duke Ellington famous quote is like, you know, what kind of music do you play? Do you play jazz? And Duke Ellington said, you know, there there are two kinds of music. There's good music and there's bad music. And, you know, um, in the world of like subjectivity that we live in like of course that leaves a lot of space for subjectivity there's abs- there's i don't think anyone's saying there's an absolute good music and there's an absolute bad music but just you know don't think of don't think of categories as i think where he was coming from you've got your own good music you've got the things that maybe are not as interesting to you um but just to think of you know your relationship to it rather than the, the genre itself um
2: You know, this that you're both talking about, maybe both of you have an idea about this. It reminded me of something that we hear sometimes like from non musicians who are asking about what we're doing in in the guitar department at Berkeley or from students like, well, you know, music itself is so compartmentalized, like some of the gigs that people will get studio gigs or recording gigs, they're, they're gonna want them to play this kind of simple part, right? Right. And so but I really feel that when you do what both of you are talking about and you have this artistic and curious and expansive approach to learning everything you can, that what you bring when you bring yourself to a part that's focused
4: mm-hmm.
2: is different than if someone yeah. only knew how to play those chords or that line or whatever. Right. Do, you, do you feel that way? I mean, like how does being um, a musician that has all of the experience and interest that you both have how does that come across when you're playing a part that is focused and, and is in one style and maybe is simpler than a lot of the things you're writing when you're writing art music?
0: Um, for for me, um, it, it's really improved my ability to listen to a different situation to different situations. Um, when I, when I go back and, and think about, you know, the, when I didn't have as broad a perspective, and of course I'm trying to keep broadening my perspective. I'm not, um but i I, i'm not sure i would be able to like really listen to the material in the same way it would be so i would oftentimes kind of was like always shaping things towards a certain type of comfort zone that i had and then as i as my influences broadened and my listening broadened and i was able to bring that into the way i played guitar too it wasn't just you know just that i like to listen to a lot of different things but i learned how to try to express all those different things in my in my guitar playing that when when it when it would become time for like a simpler sort of thing um i could just listen to it i think a little bit more objectively i could i could um you know one one of my teachers made a really interesting comment to me once and he and he i was playing with him and he said um so you know the first thing he said was, sounds good. And I knew something was going to come after that. <laughs> so, and he said, but I want you to imagine that your ears are over there across the room and you're listening to yourself while you're playing. And um, I think that might be kind of what I'm trying to get at right now. Like The ability to kind of like hear myself and not totally be inside myself is something that, that uh, I think having a lot of broad influences has, has helped me be able to do. I could kind of hear um, maybe where that kind of, kind of piece was coming from in a different way. Um, I don't know that's yeah, a kind of abstract point right there, but uh that's that's how I feel about it. Cheryl, do you want to clear up my mess here?
2: yeah I, think, <laughs> I, want, I want to say one thing and then I want to hand it off to you. I think that it's not abstract when, because it translates practically right. Like, because when I hear you play, like I could hear you play five notes and the color and the timbre and the shape of the note and just the maturity you bring to it, it says to me that it's like when someone who is a really great speaker.
0: Right, right. Says
2: a well, simple you. thing and you remember it for the rest of your life and you believe them.
0: Well, thank it's you. It's not
2: someone who only knows how to say a few words. Thank it's you. You can tell, right?
0: Right. Right
2: you're welcome but it's also true right like it's like you're you're saying these maybe five notes like someone who's right the best public speaker in the world would say five words and it's different than if you only knew five
0: words. well the, the thing that i try to tell my students is that you know everything you do From the moment you plug in, well, everything you do before you even plug in your guitar should be intentional, but once you plug in your guitar in particular, it should be very intentional. Like, you know, the way you set up, if you're playing an electric guitar, the way you set up your amp, don't just plug into the amp, make some decisions about why your setup on that amp is that way. When you, you know, pick up your guitar and you choose to use one pickup or another, why are you doing that? You know, so that, um, So that there's intention behind everything that you're doing, that you've had some kind of thought. You know, I I usually say to my students, like, you know, there's there's not really like right or wrong here. It's just what's intentional and what's not intentional. And I want you to have as much control over what you're doing. Like if I say, why are you, you know, if I say like I, I didn't like that, let's say, which I try not to say stuff like that very often, but you know, I want them not to say, Well, I liked it. You know, so there, I, you know, I, I want to go like, I want to get like, well, why did you do that? If you've got a reason for why you did it, I don't know if I can really, then I think I have to back off a little bit. You've already thought about it. You know, then we can have like a, like an artistic conversation as two artists. Like, you know, I thought you should have gone for blue Well, I went for red. I like blue. I like, okay, cool. You know, um, but I just want some some intention behind every little thing and sound obviously is the most you know most immediate way of sensing a musician's intention when when the you know you just hear the timbre of their voice on their instrument it, it hits you right away and so i really emphasize that with my students like make your sound very intentional yeah
2: cheryl what is it for you what what does having this broad experience give you when you play something focused
3: well I mean, it seemed like in the in the context, I I I love that. I'm stealing that. Pretending your ears are on the other side of the room because that gives you that you're taking your ego out of it. Yeah. Right? And I think also too, if 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 you went into a session and someone has a line written and they want it in a certain way, you know, your goal is to to play the music as they are instructing you to. So that means your ego isn't there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: As opposed to when it is your own gig and you write your own music. So I think having, I think that's what's important about having a lot of those experiences. Also, you know, obviously the listening to a lot of stuff because if someone says to me, play this, like this is supposed to be a like West Montgomery. That means a lot more to me than just play octaves because I've right. dug so deeply into that the man's playing the feel of it and the note choices even more like you don't have to play octaves to play like Wes because yep. that if you've done that depth into that player you know those subtleties of that mm-hmm. so so I'm going to do that and it's not going to be like what I would play because that's what the you know I'm being instructed to do so I'm not going to put my ego in there um but, but on the other side that's why I also really encourage students and folks to write their own music because then you get that sense of what you want to do
0: right. oh.
3: <laughs> so you know I, I think it's it's a balance, it's of a those balance of those, being on all those sides of the of the room give you that, depth to what you're going to do. But I mean, you know, I, to me, it's really thinking about a thing about taking away e- your, your ego, like, well, that, you know, this isn't what I would do. Well, it doesn't matter what you would do in this situation, you know, so being able to do that. But I think that's also another thing too, what you're talking about with your tone and your intention, like being able to step away from that and look as if I remember hearing something that Jocko would say, he would, Have these moments, you know, where it was almost he was floating above himself, listening to how the whole thing was going. So it's not about you at that point. You're kind. You're looking at and listening at the the bigger picture.
0: Totally. And that that what you're saying right there is like definitely what when I started composing did for me all of a sudden you know i would i would listen to pieces of music in a very different way and i would try to focus on the intention of the composer and and um you know why things were happening a certain way and it just completely changed my hearing and it's um it changed the way i would approach playing other people's music because i would i would have a whole new respect for their intentions and then um also i feel like you know with composing it's it's like a very it's a process of kind of self determination and finding really who you are so I think composing is a great way to as a as a student just to you know to figure out how you filter all these different influences well if you want to figure out who you are and what to make of all that. um, I think my best recommendation would be to write a piece of music, you know, and and figure out that's where you're going to have to make those those decisions. And so. that's going to change over time, of course, but it's the best for that.
2: It's interesting too, because even with your own music, I wonder if you both feel this way that once you write it, it's, it's not you, it's not like you're writing you. It's like, it's its own thing. And Mm -hmm. so you could, you could approach that the way you approach someone else's music in the sense that you're just asking the music what it needs and you're serving it. As opposed to, like, wrapping yourself and your self-worth up in everything that you write. Right. Once it comes through you, it's its own life.
0: Totally. And it's it sometimes is easier to be a, a side person than a band leader in that regard, because you, you like, look at the material in a different way. You know, when, when you are playing your own music you have like all your original intentions that you have to negotiate whereas when you're playing someone else's music it's a much more open canvas uh, that that uh, at least that I feel i i i really have a hard time with my own music trying to get past all right this is what i wanted you know and try to get into you know what do i want or well what does it want you know um and that that requires me really being in the moment in a way that that is challenging and, and makes the whole lifetime of playing music really fun because I'm trying to figure out how I can do a better job of that over time. Yeah.
2: That was gonna be my next question was like, did you have you found the secret to get out of uh. <laughs>
0: how
2: do we get out of our own way? How do we do that, Nate? How do we do that, Cheryl? Cheryl, how do we do that? How do we get out of our own way when we write our own music? Tell us the secret.
0: Cheryl. She's almost,
2: not even hitting the mute button. She's
0: like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, you know,
3: you know. one thing that I think is interesting is when I get to play, I mean, I, I have regular bands that I play with and, and it's cool, but I like when I play my music with other bands and see how things right. that they do, it makes me think about it differently. And then when I go back and play with my regular band, those things come out. So totally. you know I I think that is is to play your own music in as many situations as possible and see how the other people add their you know sensibilities to it.
0: Yeah, I really agree with that. I think it's 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 probably something that evolves that that ability evolves over time and it's it's a a function of being open to the experiences that are already a part of your life. You know, um and um trying to put you know within those situations um learn from them as much as possible and um that sometimes does putting your your ego and uh, intentions to the aside a little bit and seeing what other intentions are are going into that situation so it's really hard you know i'm not i don't want to sound like uh you know um you know there's like uh this might be a little bit of a segue here but um you know this this week coming up there are a bunch of concerts celebrating well there's a concert on Thursday celebrating the legacy of Mick Goodrick and um you know these sorts of themes were something that I really got out of reading his book The Advancing Guitarist because it was you know that's it's such an interesting book and I really like I've never read anything like it um, because it's, it's, you know, to some extent, like, you know, this is how you learn the fingerboard, Donny. Donnie's reacting to this. Really?
2: He well, believes in that book as well. Yeah. He
0: believes in that book as well. I think his, yeah, there you go, Donnie, your, your owner is, is calling you. Okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, mixed book is like half, like, you know, music book and half like Buddhist treatise on the le- teaching yourself like the mind of a improvising musician and you know there are these like f- sections in the back of that book where he's like you know are you having a hard time like you know figuring out how to play well maybe you should go restring your guitar maybe you should go feed some ducks maybe you should not play for a week you know and, and I was like reading that as a teenager you know it was like really kind of blew my mind and introduced to me the idea that there's more to this game than the nuts and bolts you know there's more to it than just the theory and 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 i just was so blown away and as i get older by the just incredible honesty of that presentation that that you know he chose to write a book about music but then you know was really honest about some of the things that go into that that it's more than just learning your modes and which is so important by the way (laughs) but you know um but like you know there's a whole there's a lot to learn mentally from the whole thing and and you know we're so blessed to have this practice that keeps us in touch with this lifelong learning process and um anyways i've never i've never known a book to really address those different sides in such a in such a way and in a way that really gets you thinking it doesn't he doesn't present any answers for you you have to figure them out that's crazy to me that that can be accomplished in the book
2: i agree and, and it's funny you say that because i've been reading the book um again right. like really mm. reading through it um, right. in in sort of preparation for what we're talking about and um in the beginning it says like this is not a method book right you supply the method i that's what i think inspired me when i picked it up when i was young
0: right right this
2: idea that you supply your method at any given time
0: yeah and
2: and then now as the chair of the guitar department at berkeley knowing that after years after he wrote this book he comes back to berkeley mick comes back in the in 1990 and he and larry bayonne and rick peckham imagine all of our proficiency material you can see that it came out of that book like
0: absolutely
2: the sky, the triad voice leading cycles are in that book and all the way that we play the modes and all the way that it's just like a it's almost like you know some of the questions where he says like you know if a person was interested they could take this and they yes. could do it in these five different ways, and then you think, "Oh my goodness, that's level three. You know, that's right. what you're doing in level three. That that was what a person would do when he asked yep. those open-ended questions." Like, right. and the whole idea that blows me away is, yes, it's more, of course, that this idea of approaching our instrument this way allows for maximum interpretation, maximum creativity, totally, because you 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 become yourself. You you have to do it, but the thing that I think is missing from that type of philosophy that this reinforces is you have to know the fretboard yes, as deeply as possible. Absolutely. And you have to understand how your hands work to make the sounds physically. Like it Absolutely. doesn't shy away and neither does the proficiency from the fact that it's going to take you years and thousands yes. and thousands of hours. And yes. I think what blew me away when I came to Berkeley, I, w- I went through my doctorate. Right. And, you know, I studied it off and on in, you know, in college and grad school for classical guitar for 15 years. And there was this approach that you all had taken to mastering the fretboard that made me feel like a beginner. You know, when I right. went back and I was right. like, wow, I just had never, Right. I came at it from a different way. And um, that I think is, once you get over the shock that that's true for every guitarist, yes. it's really cool.
0: It is really cool. Yes. And, um, you know, another thing about that book for me was that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I I read it first when I was a a teenager. And part of why I read it was just I was desperate for information. And there were not, uh, I'm old enough that there was not a YouTube for me to get, you know, guitar lessons from. There were not a lot of jazz books, at least that I could find at that time. And so I got this book about jazz and I was like, all right, let me learn some like hot licks or something. And there are no hot licks in this book. Okay. It's all about, you know, learning the fingerboard. And so it like, you know, I mean, that was like a little bit of an adjustment for me too. I was like, you know, like, Oh, so there's like a terrain here that I need to know in order to feel freedom. And, um, that is, you know, I think, one of the things that the proficiency is trying to accomplish and it's just one of the things that as guitar players we have to accomplish and, you know i make the analogy with my students all the time like there's a little keyboard in the studio i'm in and like you look at the keyboard and you're like all right i see see the notes there they are you know and you can chop up that keyboard in any kind of variety of ways that you want to you know but uh you look at the guitar fingerboard and you're like, "Damn." what is this thing you know where is everything and it takes a lot of time I mean I'm not done it's you know it's it's every time I practice that's in part what I'm working on just trying to learn better where things are
2: yeah I think so and I I think it's great that he likens it to an ice skating rink because I just keep thinking like how many times I fall down
0: right right
2: i'm like you're just gonna fall down you're never i've been skating since i was tiny and yeah. I, I am definitely going to fall down every time i put skates on and um i think that's good to know i think it's important for everybody to know like this isn't the stuff that's on the test that you just kind of oh i don't really need it because i'm going to be creative this is what helps you become creative totally and more confident and the more you know it from a different angle right totally it, the more different avenues it opens
0: And it's, and it's really uh, kind of a genre independent presentation in a lot of ways. You know, it's, it's like um, another analogy that I use often is it's, it's like, you know, you're, you're a painter and you, he's, he's trying to teach you the colors, not, and not just green, you know, not just the primary, green's not a primary color, excuse me, not just yellow, blue and red, not just the primary colors, you know, he's, he's giving you like, you know, the, the, the big. Crayola set, you know, like the hundred crayons or whatever, you know, but you have to, you have to like learn the colors. If you're a composer, if you're an improviser, if you're, you know, listening is more fun once you know the colors too, you know? Um, And so that's, that's a big part of, I think what, what he's, he's showing us in that book, you know, this is where the material is paint as you see fit. Right. you know but but here here you can learn about the colors that you can use in your music irrespective of genre you
2: know? yeah and the book for people who are listening who might not know is called the advancing yeah. guitarist and you can get it it's right it's, worthy. it's a book for life so it's not like you're yeah. gonna say okay i have a week off i'm gonna open this book
0: yep, yep. Um,
2: you can open it but you you're not it. gonna close it forever you yep. know hopefully, and it's a hopefully.
0: it's a it's a great book to read like backwards Mm -hmm. forwards and just like open it up and that's what you're dealing with that day it's you know wow what a cool cool yeah
3: I think I've never I've never read that from cover to cover I've always done the zen thing just whatever close my eyes and go whatever I page I open is what I need to learn today yeah and then you keep doing that so I I've probably in my life Probably gone through the whole book, but never sequentially. And totally. it, it's still always amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah. And just something, you know, then sometimes you like open it up and you turn to the page where it's just like triad, like poly polychords, like just one full page of just, you know, it's actually kind of beautiful. Um, but, yeah. you know, abstract what to do with that. That's
2: beautiful. Yeah. Ian, what are you thinking about, Ian? Um, Ian has a question he generally asks everybody that might be okay. on the right now um, or other things.
4: Yeah, I mean, on the topic of, of big questions, uh, <laughs> here's <laughs> something we throw at everybody on this podcast, uh, which is um, a question like, what is something that students should be, like a question that they should be asking or something that they should be thinking about that they might not think to ask or that might not be on their radar?
0: Hmm. Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I think it's really important to understand um, that all of us kind of got to this point on the basis of developing certain habits, you know, in, in our lives as people and practicing. And so I, I get really interested in talking to people about their practice routines, how they structure their time, how they structure their days. There's like this thing in the New York Times that I read all the time called the Sunday routine, where they like go interview someone, you know, it's like, let's check out like the head of the ASPCA, you know, the like Animal Welfare League and like, you know, what do they do on a Sunday? And then like, let's go find, you know, talk to this Broadway producer. What do they do on a Sunday? And it's like, you know, that's like kind of a level of detail and decision making that I kind of find kind of fascinating. Just like, all right, how do you, how do you structure your time? in order to have the life that you want to have. And um, that that has to do with how do you find time for practicing? What do you do with that practice time? How do you organize your practice time? Um, probably not that obscure of a question because I bet people do actually ask that question, but um, I, do, I do think that that's like really, really important. And especially for young people um, where, you know the transition from high school to college is like a massive transition from the amount of free time that you have, or at least it was my generation. Is it still, Ian? Is it still a big transition? <laughs>
4: I don't know. It was kind of a a little ways away from me. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Well, I figured you're younger than me. Um. So. Um. Yeah. You know. Um. Learn learning how to develop those kinds of t- time management skills is. It's super, super important and a big part, I think, of what we do. A big part of what everyone does is just, again, how much intention do you put into it?
3: Nate, you'd be surprised. I, this is actually a big, big topic of mine too. So we'll have to have a chat Cool. about this. And because uh, I've also been doing a lot of research on this myself, maybe for a future course or lab at Berkeley. And you would be surprised because that kind of to me is the number one thing is how you use your time and and it is fascinating you know anybody that you see that is successful what you know whatever that means but I mean that means in business it could be in sports it could be in music it could be in art it could be just parenting Mm -hmm. anything is really about you're seeing someone who knows how to use their time effectively.
0: Totally. Totally. You
3: really are. And I, I'm always fascinated to ask all kinds of people how they structure their time and how they use it, because you will find when you start to be, or often, I, I just often say to folks, is like, time master time or it will master you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. it's going to happen. The year's going to go by no matter what. So either at the end of the you know the beginning of next year be like I can't read in first position or right? <laughs> next year can be like hey I can at least do this in first position reading right, right? right. so yep. it's up to you really to put that together and it's really observing yourself like what what am I doing now I'm totally. looking at my phone totally. I'm doing this I'm doing that totally. so I think that's awesome and I think it is something really important to bring yeah
0: up. i I remember reading this uh interview with the, the great drummer Dennis chambers and he said he said he made this very simple line and I stayed with me all my life he said you are what you practice it's kind of like a variation on the like thing that we were taught when we we're in school like you are what you eat but you are what you practice and so it's you know that like I think about that all the time I talk to my students about that because I think about myself I like who am I and I'm looking well I, I really am like my strengths are some of the things it's so obvious. The strengths are the things that I've practiced. The weaknesses are the things that somehow I neglected through, you know, a you know, lack of insight into what was going on. So, um, you know, um, that can shape you in so many different ways when you're aware of that, you know, it's just, it's not magically going to happen. You are what you practice. And to hear it come from such a virtuosic drummer as Dennis Chambers, it really had a big impact on me. I was like, it wasn't, he's kind of saying lightning didn't strike him. He, he, he worked there, you know? Wow. Amazing.
2: I I love the ownership component that both of you brought to that, like to have the life you want to have, because I think so many times you, you talk to students and they're like, oh, I ran out of time, or I didn't get to that, or I didn't, but I think flipping it and saying like, well, if this is important to you, Mm-hmm. how do you how do you take ownership and control of your time totally so that what's important to you has meaning in your life right and i think i think you're both right that it's not just about are you practicing your modes or your intervals because that's right. one thing um in your reading but it's also how you you kind of choose to structure the rest of your life right
0: and, and just to be like really concrete just to throw a couple things out there for anyone listening just like I I uh, really think it's a good idea to keep a practice journal you know keeping track of what you've been working on and I, I tend to work in like 20 minute sections and I use the timer on my phone actually um and so that that keeps me really focused I'll be like all right 20 minutes of sight reading or 20 minutes of this thing and then I'm not saying only do 20 minutes, by the way, you know, sometimes it needs to be an hour of sight reading, you know, but but still divided into 20 minute sections. I feel like that's like what my brain can handle. It's also a habit I developed after having had tendonitis for a little while, just needing to rest. So if you're dealing with body issues, health issues that using a timer, is really great. So then I would just look at my journal like, all right, I did like again, you are what you practice. I'm like, wow, I did like 20 minutes of all this stuff, but I didn't play any of my repertoire. no wonder (laughs) wonder i'm feeling rusty (laughs) you know but it's weird you can if you don't take notes you can kind of go down some weird you know some weird you can get in some weird places yeah
2: cheryl as we're wrapping up this um pot of coffee what's on your mind as we're wrapping it up yeah well thanks
3: nate this is great um we have to hang out and well we have to hang out and do some playing but and de- definitely talk about this stuff about practicing and uh, yeah i think you shared so much stuff i mean about so many topics here i know it's going to be really students are going to love this to, oh. to get inside of you know some of the things you've laid down some of the concepts you shared with us so thanks for being with
0: thank us, you too. well it's been really a lot of fun talking with all of you and you know i, I love talking about this kind of stuff so um so let's get let's go get some more coffee you guys
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ian, Ian, what about you anything uh last thoughts on your mind here
4: yeah i mean there's just a lot of really great practical things here you know and some of it's not like unfamiliar if you've been listening to other episodes but i mean also it's really great to hear it from your perspective you know and also like the talking about bringing your original pieces to other musicians and letting them you know interpret it in the way that the music sort of demands is also really cool.
0: Cool. Thank you. Thank yeah
2: you. I feel I learned a lot from this. Um
0: well, so have I. To-
2: <laughs> yeah I'm gonna, learn- I'm gonna listen to this one again um and again. And so um thank you so much, Nate. Thank thank
0: thank you all so much. This is it's a wonderful um wonderful resource that um you're presenting by doing these podcasts and so um i've gone back and listened to some and it's so cool to learn learn so much about the the different faculty that you presented and the different subjects that you presented on the podcast so thank you for this resource
2: oh you're welcome and and thanks for being a part of it so I'm gonna say formally thank you to Professor Nate Radley.
3: Thank oh, you. thank you, <laughs> thank you guys.
2: Thank you, Ian Steed, and thank you, Cheryl Bailey. Um, we're gonna keep drinking a little coffee here, but we're gonna sign off from all of you. So okay. to everyone listening and watching, coffee cheers and we'll coffee be cheers. with you on the next coffee talk.
0: Excellent, right, bye-bye. Yeah.